having to go back and forth all the time. I need to get a different mic that I just keep on my shirt at all times so that as I'm running all over the place, it's, uh, it's a little bit easier for transitions. The only thing is, if it's turned on and I'm running back and forth, you're going to hear a lot of heavy breathing, so that'd, that'd be really awkward if that's the case. <clears throat> this, um, <clears throat> this part of Scripture that we're looking at today in, in the Gospel of John, it's one that's always, I, I've always really, um, really enjoyed reading, and I think Anytime we come to a miracle of Jesus, we're, we're in, enthralled by it because we're just amazed by the awesome power that Jesus displays, this clear picture that Jesus is God because he is holding the power of God and displaying it in this sign. And the, there's nothing more powerful than raising someone who is dead back to life. And so this is kind of the the ultimate expression before Jesus raises himself back to life of Jesus yeah, I have the keys of death and life in my hands because I am the resurrection in life. Watch me raise this guy back to life. And, and, and there's just, this is a really powerful, really powerful passage. Um, and I, I'm excited to dive into it and unpack it and see, we're going to look today at three different words, three different phrases that are used by Jesus within this narrative that we really need to, to pay close attention to. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right on in. Father God, guide our thoughts this morning as we open your word. Give us clear understanding of what you are speaking to us. Um, work through scripture and impact our hearts. Help us to draw nearer to you as we draw near to the word. And um, God, move me out of the way and let yourself speak so that we can clearly hear what you have to say for us this morning. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So any of you that have grown up and seen other generations grow up, you can admit that as time goes on, generations change, right? You know, the political views change, interests change, um, the way you dress changes. You know, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, I'm sure there's a big difference between how people dress then and how people dress now. I, I saw a picture of my dad once from, from his high school picture, which I think was like 80 or 70-something. I, I can't remember. I can't remember how, when my dad was born. But anyway, when I saw that picture, I was like, man, dad, you had hair. Like, you, uh, you, you, you had a, a, a big fix going. You, uh, you, looked like everyone else at the time. And, and now people would look at that picture and say um, that, that it's way out of style and stuff. But the point is, things change over time. And one of those things is words, uh, the human language. Languages are, language is interesting because it, it evolves as generations come out. And, and they take words and they give them new meaning or they invent new words. And there's this if any of you are up on, to date on social media, which if you know me, you know that I'm not. I don't have social media. Actually, I, I even deleted Facebook the other day just because I can't stand it anymore. I only have it on my computer. It's just, I can't stand social media anymore. But if any of you know anything about social media, there's this app called TikTok that is like the driving force behind this new generation that's coming up. Like every trend, everything that um, this demographic called Gen Z 
has is often based from this app, that, that it's just this driving force of, a, of change. And there's a lot of people that have this app, and I have a couple of friends that I, I do a, a podcast with, and they both have this app, and, and they're both youth ministers, so they're up to date with everything on how words change. And I'm not, because I just don't care. And um, they, we have this segment in our podcast where... <clears throat> we do this thing where they play can Garrett guess the Gen Z word and it, they, they find a, a, a word that has been introduced by this new generation or that has been repurposed and I have to try to guess the word. A couple weeks ago we did they, the word they gave me was the word bussin and so you know my logical mind and, and you see all the younger kids laughing because you know they know what this word means I'm sure but my logical mind says, you know, that sounds like bus. So it has to do something with travel or, or moving fast or going from one place to the X. So I said, you know, that word probably means travel. Lo and behold, the word means really good. So like if you say that food was bussing, you're saying that food was really good. And I was, you know, I told him, well, why don't you just say the food's really good? <laughs> why, why do you have to say bussing? It makes no sense. <laughs> The point I'm making is languages change, and a lot of times they can change really quickly. Um, if we look at the history of languages, you can see, you, you can find points, um, catalyst events, where a word or a phrase shifted, and the meaning of it shifted because of something that was going on in that time. And what we're looking at here, and, and this narrative with Lazarus, Lazarus, is that Jesus uses three different phrases that are extremely impactful and actually shift the way the disciples viewed certain things or, or understood certain words because of how impactful this narrative is within their lives. Um, and, and, and we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. We're, we're starting in, in um, John 11. But before we get to this, we have to conclude with what we were talking about last week. Last week, if you remember, Jesus used an I am statement where he said, I am the sheep gate, I am the good shepherd. And it wasn't necessarily that he called himself the gate for sheep or that he called himself a good shepherd that caused an uproar, but the fact that he said, I am, I am. You know, Jesus, in calling himself the way that people get to God, and, and calling himself the shepherd that gets people to God, he also called himself God. And people in Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus spoke these words, they were not having it. No one was going to blaspheme God. No one was going to call themselves God, no matter what they did. And so the Jews, if, if you look at the end of chapter 10, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, in this religious city, picked up stones and were trying to push Jesus off a cliff. They were trying to kill Jesus in Jerusalem. And so, at the, at the end of chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, it says, he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. Now, the, the point in, in what I'm saying is Jesus left Jerusalem and went across the Jordan. And I, I should have pulled up a map for this, but he went a long ways away from Jerusalem. You know, people in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. People in Judea, the, the, the area around Jerusalem, were trying to kill him. So he went across the Jordan, which, you know, he went way out of the way to get away from the people that were trying to kill him. And, and this was a logical plan. You know, if someone's trying to kill you, 
If, if the mafia is out to get you, you run away from the mafia. <laughs> Jesus had people out to get him, so he hightailed it and went away. That was the logical thing to do from the disciples' perspective. Now, Jesus had all sorts of other reasons for going away. It wasn't just, he wasn't scared of the, of the Jewish religious leaders or the people in Jerusalem. But in the minds of the disciples, they're out to get Jesus Live to fight another day. Where This is the Messiah. This is the guy that's coming to conquer Rome. This is the guy that's coming to overthrow everything. You know, if they're out to get him right now, we'll, we'll go away, let tensions die down, and then we'll come back. You know, that was the mindset of the disciples. And so while they're across the Jordan in, in what is called, you know, ironically, they're in what's called Bethany across the Jordan, they get a letter, they get um, some news from Bethany near Jerusalem. So it's two different Bethanies. Um, they're in Bethany across, they're on the other side of Jordan, and they get some uh, contact from Mary and Martha, who live in Bethany, about two miles away from Jerusalem. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Anne was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after that, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples said to him, The Jews just tried to stone you, and you're going there again. So there's a couple preliminary things we see just from these first eight verses. First of all, Jesus really cares for Lazarus. He really cares for Mary and Martha. And he gets this word from them, hey, Lazarus is sick. And obviously, Jesus is God. He knows what's going to happen to Lazarus. He knows that he's sick. This is a sickness that's going to kill him. And what does he do? He stays there two more days. You know, he doesn't hightail it back to Bethany, a place that would take a couple days to get to. He stays where he's at for two more days. And, and if you look at the disciples, if you think of what they're thinking here, Jesus saying, well, Lazarus is sick. You know, he might not get well. We're just going to stay here for a couple more days. The disciples are probably thinking, you know, it's probably a good strategic move. What's one man in, in, in view of the entire kingdom that Jesus is trying to bring? What's one man in, 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 in light of everything the Messiah is trying to do? You know, if he... I hope he doesn't die, but you know, Jesus has to stay safe. We have to protect Jesus. He has to stay away from those people that want to kill him. So in the disciples' mind, you know, that's the smart thing to do. We'll just wait. We'll wait here. If he dies, hopefully he doesn't die, but if he dies, he dies. But Jesus waited two days because he wanted Lazarus to die, and then he goes to the disciples and says, we're going back to Bethany, and the disciples say, what are you talking about? They want to kill us at Bethany. That's right outside of Jerusalem. They just tried to stone you, and you want to go back because Lazarus is sick. Jesus responds, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's falling asleep, well, he's, he's going to get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. So at this point, the disciples are probably really annoyed with Jesus. Okay, first of all, Jesus, if you really wanted to heal him, we should have left as soon as you heard. Okay, second of all, Jesus, he's dead. There's nothing you can do. Why are we going back? There's people that want to kill you there. Why would we go back to where he's at when people are around to kill you and you can't do anything for him? All you're going to do is be there. All you're going to do is, is, is give condolences. You know, there's, there's nothing more you can do than that. Why would we people want to kill you? But the power in this first part is what Jesus says to them about Lazarus' death. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And if you read through the epistles, if you read through Paul's letters, through the, through the different parts of Acts, whenever you see, like, for, for example, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, whenever Stephen died, what does Luke say about Stephen? It says, and then Stephen fell asleep. And, and you see this all throughout the rest of the New Testament. When someone dies, when a Christian dies, it doesn't, they don't say he died. They say he fell asleep. Because what Jesus is saying here was so impactful to the disciples that it literally changed the way they viewed death. Jesus viewed death as just a nap. He's fallen asleep. And I'm going to go wake him back up. And the disciples right now are just thinking, okay, you need to go to the loony bin. He's dead. There's nothing you can do. What are you going to do going to help Lazarus? He's, he's dead. He's not just asleep, Jesus. He's, he's dead. But this is so impactful on the disciples, this entire narrative as we keep moving forward, that by Jesus saying Lazarus had fallen asleep, it changed the entire course of how Christians, the early Christians, viewed death. Christians in the early church didn't view death as final as the rest of the world did. They viewed death as a good nap that brought you into resurrected life. And it all started right here. Jesus shifted the meaning of death. He's just fallen asleep. Death is just a good nap in the eyes of Jesus. And so they go back to, to, to Bethany um, they, they, they head on their way. They're all probably like, I have no idea what we're, why we're going this way. We're, we're about to encounter some opposition. Jesus was just almost killed here, so whatever, we'll, we'll follow where you go. And it says, when Jesus arrived in Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. A little bit needs to be said about that statement there. The view of the Jews at this time, of the, of the Jewish religious leaders, was kind of split in half. Some viewed that, the Sadducees viewed that there was no resurrection. That the spirit was not necessarily, the spiritual life wasn't something that you could understand. Um, the Pharisees viewed that there was resurrection at the end of life. In the Old Testament, there's not really an 
post-resurrection theology. It's just prophets and, and, and metaphor and, and things that can't really be constructed together for the Jewish people to really say with certainty what the resurrection was. But at this point in time, what is called the intertestamental period, meaning the period between the last book of the Old Testament and Jesus' life, during that about 300-year span, they, the, the Jewish religious leaders had begun to formulate a theory of what would happen when you die. And about half believed that there was some sort of resurrection, that either the nation of Israel would resurrect and, and would continue living, or that there was some bodily resurrection that would happen to individual Jewish people. But they didn't really understand it at all, and, and there wasn't really any yet. There wasn't any concrete word that was going on to explain what happened when you die. And that's the background. Martha is showing that she is of the Pharisaical belief that there is a resurrection. She says, I know he'll rise again in the last day, basically with the rest of the Jewish nation. And here's what Jesus said, I am. I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And I don't think Martha believed he was God, believed that he was the Messiah, but she didn't fully, I don't think, understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am, I am God, I am the anastasis, the resurrection. I am the zoe, the life. Two words that hadn't been given the meaning that Jesus just placed on those two words. Up until this point, the resurrection wasn't unpacked. No one really understood the resurrection. But Jesus is saying, not only is the resurrection true, but I'm the resurrection. Resurrection is possible because of me. Life is possible because I am life. Do you believe this, Martha? Yeah, you're, you're God. You're the Messiah. I'm going to believe whatever you say. But she didn't understand it because death is death. Death is final. There's no such thing as resurrection. There's no such thing as living once you die. And it's interesting, the word here that Jesus used that I mentioned, anastasis, the Greek word, it means if you're sitting down or if you're lying down, all that word means is you're standing up. You're standing up from a position of lying down or sitting down. That's what that word means. And up until this point that Jesus uses it, it wasn't really used in the terms of resurrection all that much. It was referenced some. People would kind of use that word to describe coming to life a little bit. But this is kind of the catalyst event where Jesus says, I am the anastasis. I am the resurrection. I am rising from your prone or seated position. But he gives it more meaning. He changes the meaning of this word to say, I am what causes you to go from death to life. I am what it means to rise. And when you rise, I am what gives you life. Life exists because Jesus is the resurrection. And without this statement of Jesus, what Jesus, the miracle Jesus is about to do 
You know, it's no different than what Elijah did with, with the widow's daughter or the widow's son. He rose the widow's son. Without the statement that Jesus gives Martha before raising the dead, what Jesus is about to do with Lazarus isn't as important. But Jesus says, I am what causes you to rise up. I am what causes you to have life. And Martha says, okay, yeah, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. I believe you. But all of this, Jesus making this comment about falling asleep, being the same as death, Jesus making this comment that, that he is what caused the resurrection life, all of this would have just been forgotten. It would have been a forgotten point of history if what happens next didn't happen. It says in verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I say this so that they might believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. That was that. Now, up until this point in time, there was all sorts of sorcerers and magicians. You know, and like sorcerers and magicians in our day, they would use tools and they'd use deception and they would use things to make you think they were performing this magic trick. There was even those that would do supernatural activity through demonic influence, but none of them would even Dane to attempt what Jesus just did. Lazarus, come on, let's go. And here comes Lazarus. You know, the other two things that we talked about, Jesus saying he's just fallen asleep, Jesus calling himself the resurrection, he gave new meaning to these words and terms. But the, the last thing that we see that Jesus said that was impactful was the fact that Jesus breathed life into someone that had lost life simply by speaking it into existence. Now John, at the beginning of his gospel, says Jesus is the Word. Now the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus spoke to Lazarus, and Lazarus lived. Lazarus got up. And, and up until this point, you know, Mary, Martha, they, the disciples, they would have known that Jesus was, was great. They would have known that Jesus is the Son of God. They, they professed that he was the Messiah, but they didn't really understand. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. You want to see it? Lazarus, come on. Oh my, what? 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 Jesus just brought life into a body that was already decaying. And, and the thing about all of this is, you don't write like this in a, in a book, in a gospel, in, into some sort of document that gets passed around unless it's verifiably true. You don't write, this guy said he was the resurrection of life and then proved it by raising someone from the dead because everyone would know whether that's true or false. Everyone in the surrounding Judea, Jerusalem area would have known, hey, this guy Lazarus died, and, and four days later he was back to life. 
So if John wrote this in his gospel and it wasn't true, it would have been refuted instantly. But Jesus is the resurrection, he is the life, and he proved that unequivocally because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And because of this event, it shifted how the Christians viewed death. It was just a good nap. It shifted what they knew about the resurrection. Jesus was the resurrection, and they used the same word that he used, and they knew that Jesus was the word of God. He was and is God. It changed everything about the disciples' life. And I, I want to close. There's, um, you know, I, I said how in the beginning, how basically this new generation has redefined our vocabulary. Well, Jesus redefined death. He breathed new definition into what it means. And, and we see this because after Jesus' ministry, someone never followed him around. Paul writes to other churches using the exact same language that Jesus uses. He says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Now G Paul here could have said, used a number of words. But what word does he use to say Christ resurrected? When he says the resurrection of the dead, he uses the exact same word that Jesus used, anastasis. The resurrection of Lazarus. The, Jesus calling himself the resurrection and the life. The resurrection of Jesus was so impactful in the minds of the disciples that it even penetrated Paul, someone who had never even witnessed Jesus' ministry, because the resurrection was what made the disciples certain Jesus is God. God can't bring people, people can't bring other people back to life. Only God can do that. Elijah did it through God's power, but Jesus said he is the resurrection. He is the life. And then when he died, he resurrected himself. And it changed everything about the gospel. Up until this point, the disciples of Jesus were just Jews that were following another prophet. Jews that were following the Messiah. Jews that were following the, the prophetic son of man. But now, they were realizing, oh, this is God. Come down to earth to do something that we cannot understand. And what he did was redefine death. Through Jesus' death, through Jesus' resurrection, through Jesus' ascension into heaven, we can follow suit. Because in his death, he takes on our infinite unrighteousness. In his resurrection, he gives us his infinite righteousness in its place. And now we can be with him in the presence of God for all of eternity because he is the resurrection, he is the life, and through him, we have resurrection, and we have life. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to close our time in worship this morning. On, our, on the bulletins, it says we're going to close with the song Resurrecting, but I just I want to change that. I want us to close with a hymn, Just 
as I am, just as we are, we come to him and he takes us in and he transforms and changes our eternity because he is the resurrection, he is the life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, it doesn't, it, just like Martha was probably baffled by, the, by your statement of being the resurrection and the life, you know, we, we know this, Lord. We, we've read this. We've grown up in the church, many of us, and yet it's still so hard to understand, but we know it's true. God, you raised Lazarus from the dead. Lord, you, you did all of these things, and, and people could have refuted this gospel message till they were blue in the face, and we would know, but they didn't because they knew with certainty of the things that you have done. And because we know with certainty that you have done these things, God, we know with certainty that, Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. You are the resurrection. You are the life. And God, through your Son, through Jesus, give us your Spirit so that we too can continually, without hindrance, know that we have a resurrection and life awaiting us when we die, that, that this life is just a blink of an eye, and that death is just a nap as we raise ourselves through your power, through your strength, through your glory into an eternal life with you. Thank you, God, for bringing us into your presence for all of eternity. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let, let's